Welcome to episode two of Upstage Left. In this episode, I speak with Charlie Yvonne Simpson, the playwright of Behind the Sheet, currently finishing up its run at Ensemble Studio Theater. Her new play, Jump, has been slated for four different productions across the country as part of the National New Play Network's Rolling World Premiere Program. Most recently, it opened at Playmakers Rep in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Next up, it's going to be at the Milagro in Portland, Oregon, followed by uh, Actors Express in Atlanta, Georgia, and lastly in Austin, Texas. So if you live in any of those cities, definitely check out Charlie's new play. In this episode, Charlie and I talk a little bit about self-doubt and how scary it can be to put something into the world, which I've definitely been feeling making this podcast and sharing it, you know, across different platforms. Um, Even just listening back to this interview with Charlie, I can hear myself sometimes not saying full sentences and not, you know, asking the questions I feel like I could have asked. So the inner critic is pretty loud, but I'm just trying to remind myself that done is better than perfect and I need to learn to live with the imperfections so that I can share this thing I'm making with all of you. Um, so thank you so much for listening. And if you do like the podcast, please share it, subscribe, and follow us on Instagram at Upstage Left Podcast. All right. This is Charlie Yvonne Simpson. Hi, I'm talking to Charlie Simpson. Hi. <laughs> um, thanks so much for coming in. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I was trying to think like when we met because it's been a few years. Mm-hmm. So I like went through my emails mm-hmm. and I realized that we met during um, when you were in a writer's group called Plumage. Right, right. I guess, yeah, that would be when we met. Yeah. Um, uh, Plumage was a, a writer's group that uh, me and a playwright by the name of Daria Marinelli, um, who is a, a college friend of mine, um, we started this writer's group right when I moved to back to New York. Um, so I guess in 2014. Yeah, it was in 2014. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we had a little writer's group for like a year, which I forget often. And then, it feels yeah. like a million years ago. Right. You know, but I, and I, it's funny because I was going to be like, oh, that's not how we met, but it totally is. And then that's how I met other folks that we have in common that then I worked with later at the flea and things like that. Um, but yeah, it was through that, that writer's group. Yeah. And I did a play, you guys had a, what, like after winter thing and you were to play we called. It was called... Um, the Moment After the Meerkat. The Moment After the Meerkat. Yeah. Oh, I forget. I feel like that title was given to me. After, I don't, <laughs> don't know. It was such a weird play. Oh, my God. It was so beautiful. It was this play about a couple whose relationship had fallen apart, but the man, uh, it was a man and a woman, and the man had gotten into an accident and had amnesia, mm-hmm. and then the play took place after the accident, and the woman is kind of... He he's remembering, or she discovers he's found a journal of hers, right. and then their relationship comes out. Right. I feel like there's a movie which I haven't seen, but I feel like I just was like, oh, there's a movie that's like that. Really? Some, I think there's a movie. Somebody has a car accident, and like that happens. I think I may have just taken it, <laughs> but I didn't. I've never seen the movie, but I think there's a movie that either has the similar storyline. I don't know, but there's a movie out there. 
I never saw the movie, but I think maybe it influenced what happened in that play. I would totally believe there's a movie, but yeah. I, I read the play first, so. Yeah. So that story will always be credited right. to you. I'm really glad. I'm really glad. Oh my goodness. Um, so I feel like that play kind of gave me, and then after that, you were, you joined Youngblood like pretty soon after that, right? Um, yeah, so I, um, I applied to Youngblood, um, like the summer before I moved here. So it was the summer of 2014 and I found out I got in, I think like early October of that year. Hmm. So yeah, so it actually may have been around the same oh, time. The same time. Or yeah, but I was like a new young blooder and I didn't know what that meant. So I also was quiet in the shadows. So people probably didn't even know I was in the group. Well, I remember just, you had written, I remember reading a few of your shorts and they were all like relationships. They were like mostly like two handers about relationships. So my knowledge of your work prior to like behind the sheet Mm -hmm. and reading jump has always been like very intimate stories about relationships Mm -hmm. and the way we break each other's hearts. Uh, yeah, that's that's very, uh, apropos of, I'd like to think back to what was happening during that time. (laughs) I'm like, oh yeah, no, that totally is what, um, what I would write about. (laughs) Yep. That's right. Yep. So now, now you have this like hit show behind the sheet. You're in your second extension or third? Uh, I guess it's the third technically because we extended for one week and then we extended another week and, and now we've extended three more weeks. So yeah, the Great. third extension. We closed March 10th. <laughs> yeah, that's soon, but you had a good run. Yes. Yeah. yeah no, it, it, you know, first preview was January 9th. We were supposed to close February 3rd and, and, you know, we're keeping it, we're keeping it going, which that's is amazing. exciting. That's so amazing. And just for people who don't know what that play is about, it's about, uh, a group of enslaved black women who are essentially the mothers of modern gynecology, um, and they are uncredited in, find, in helping to find the treatment for uh, obstetric, obstetric, obstetric fistulas. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we kind of hear from their perspective for the first time, mm-hmm. um, rather than the doctor who is, it's based on J. Marion Sims. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, can you talk a little bit about how you came to that story and mm-hmm. why you decided to take that story on? Sure. Um, I think, I mean, uh, I think as, as a writer, I think, and, and you you bringing up those relationship plays is funny, but I, but I do think that... that in, that they're actually not that far off and that I tend to write about the things that scare me um, and the things that I find um, mind-boggling, um, which I find relationships scary and mind-boggling. Um, but, um, you know, in, in this case, um, several years ago, I, I think it was an article on Gawker. Like, I remember it being that, but, like, watch it not be. But um, there was an article about this statue of Dr. J. Marion Sims, which used to be along the perimeter of Central Park. Um, and uh, the article was sort of just highlighting the fact that we in, in New York were, you know, um, sometimes we, we kind of sit in our little high and mighty 
seat and we look, you know, the rest of the country, um, and are like, oh, like we don't have that problem. And, and in this case, it was this, this discussion of statues. And, you know, we were looking as a country, we we're looking at Confederate statues and, and, um, other types of statues and, and sort of wondering, should we have those? Should they come down? Should they be moved? And this article was sort of pointing out that we too here in New York City, had at least one statue that um, folks also thought needed to be moved, and it was the statue of J. Marion Sims. Um, and I read the article and was sort of uh, kind of baffled that I had never heard of him before. Um, he is the so-called father of American gynecology. He's why we have a speculum. Um, you know, he opened the first women's hospital here in New York City. Um and being a person with a uterus, I go to the gynecologist. So I was like, this is like a history I should know. Um, and even more so going further into the article, um, seeing that he, um, you know, he, he found a way to fix obstetric fistulas, um, by, uh, experimenting on enslaved black women numerous times, um, without the use of anesthesia. Uh, and that also felt mind boggling that I didn't know that as a black woman. Um, and so I kind of went down a rabbit hole after reading that article and Googled and read more and, um, was, was really shocked and, and saddened, um, by the story and, and the fact that pretty much everything I read sort of pointed to us not knowing very much about the women. Mm. Um, we know three of their names. Um, there are other resources that hint at other names possibly as well, but, the three that are usually mentioned in part because they're listed in Sims's, um, autobiography are Anarcha, Betsy, and Lucy. Um, but we don't know very much about them. Uh, so I had that information in my head. I let it sit there. Um, and then, uh, actually, I don't think it was that year. I think it was about a year later. Um, I, wanted to apply to this program called the EST Sloan Fund, um, project, excuse me, the EST Sloan project, which is, um, a project through Ensemble Studio Theater, um, where, uh, the Sloan Foundation and EST pick, um, playwrights, um, really plays, um, to give money to <laughs> that are about science and technology that sort of um, bridge the gap between the arts and, and science. Um, and you submit a proposal. Um, it's actually not that complicated of a thing. It's like one or two pages. Um, you talk about the science, you talk about the story you want to tell, um, and you hope for the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I did in the fall of 2015, I, I submitted uh, a proposal for what was then called under the sheet. Um, and that spring, I, I found out that I um, had gotten it, um, and so yeah, that that was sort of the the impetus for the story. It was mostly it was terrifying to me um, that that happened, and that um, <clears throat> the history of gynecology is so um, intertwined with racism and slavery, which, on one hand, isn't surprising, but on another hand, is surprising and sad right right when you I just listened to you describing um you know like about talking about the science and kind of the violence against the women Mm -hmm. and talking about what you writing about things that you were like afraid of um I I've like I had the experience watching it like a like a gut twist mm-hmm. or something it's like very hor- it's horrifying yeah. it's very horrifying and 
in a way that's it's it definitely it's not it's not a horror movie but it feels it has that like quality mm-hmm. of your your stomach drops and mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think i think what is has been sort of fascinating to experience um you know because i i wrote the play and you know at this point like lord knows it's probably like a hundred drafts in right um not that i become immune to what is being discussed but you know i like begin to look at the play as like okay how do you know just like as a play and something that needs to be sort of um figured out you know how, how do we best put this on um and what has been interesting the last few weeks being able to see the play and, and to be with audiences is that it's the reminder that like for most people, this is a new, this is a new story. It's new information. Um, and that some of the details that are really hard to deal with or, um, are just sort of shocking, um, you know, I feel the audience react. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I sort of remember the first night sitting in the audience and um, hearing reactions and feeling reactions and being reminded of like, oh, right, like I've been living with this story for four and a half years in some ways, <laughs> or right. four years, four years, I can't do math. Um, you know, um, others are, are, this is their first introduction to it. And so um, really there are times when I sit in the audience and I can sort of feel the moment when people's gut twists sort of, or, or, um, you know, people look away despite the fact that we really aren't showing anything right. graphic, but you know, what we're seeing are, um, um, are folks in pain or, or dealing with, with their pain. And, and that's hard to, to watch and to deal with. And sort of every time I go and sit at the, at the, you know, with the audience, I'm reminded of like, Oh, right. Like this is, that's exactly what the point of the play is, but it's, uh, a, a reminder of just how hard um, the details, the real details are. Hmm. Do you feel like having lived with it for four years and talk and now being immune to it, do you feel like you're carrying that in some way? Is it like burden, a burden for you or? No, um, it doesn't feel like a burden at all. It feels um, like I, uh, I, I'm fortunate enough to to live at a time where I am able to have a voice mm-hmm. um, and able to talk about these things and to point out the um, the sort of the the dark corners of of history that we don't like to acknowledge, um, and that's that's a privilege that they did not have that those women did not have. Um, so it doesn't feel like a burden. It feels like a um, uh, I'm not thinking of any of the words. It's sort of like, it's not a, a gift is not the right word either, but it is, it's, it's, um, you have some perspective on it. Right. Or I, I have the ability, you know, uh, to tell the story and yeah, perhaps it sort of, it does sort of feel like my, my duty to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't feel like a burden, you know? Um, it feels like I, um, I am lucky to um, have been given the support to tell this story, um, and I don't take that lightly at all. Um, yeah, I, I would say it does, on some level, feel like feel like a, a duty of mine um, to um, to make sure that my work as a writer um, 
is, is also in, in sharing stories that we may not hear otherwise. Sometimes, you know, they're historical, like in this play, and sometimes they're not. Um, but none of those things feels like a burden. Hmm. Yeah. What, like, brought you to writing in the first place? Or... Ooh. What brought me to writing in the first place? Um, I, I mean, my short answer is, like, I've been writing forever. Um, but I do, I mean, I, I remember being little and, like, writing the, like, background stories for my dolls. Um, fun. And, <laughs> still fun. Um, <laughs> in second grade, there was, like, uh, you could make little books. And, like, you would, like, plan them out. And then you would, like, get edits. And then you would rewrite them. And you could, like, cut out the paper and, like, put it on, like, construction paper. And you could, like, draw the scene and you could have this whole big thing. My mom, in fact, was just mentioning this like a week ago because she, we used to call it like the first draft was the sloppy copy. And my mom like loved that. Um, and I, being me, was like, I'm going to pretend in lines that I did a sloppy copy and just do the final one. <laughs> um, but like I like loved that in second grade. I like loved making these books and these things that I would write. Um, and so I feel like in some ways I have always been writing. Um, I realized too, like I was always coming up with characters. I loved baby names as a kid. Like I would like know what people's names meant and I would like look it up and like, there's like a certain segment of like Hollywood stars who's like, I know their kids' names still because I was like obsessed and I was like, why did you choose that name? And what does it mean? And what is the significance and blah, 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 blah. And I honestly think now that I was like, oh, I was just like imagining characters, like oftentimes characters names are the first things that come to me or like um for one play of mine I was at a Starbucks and somebody had a Starbucks cup and it said Smith and like that's that was the beginning of the play like I was like this woman named Smith wow um and so I think in some ways I was I was like crafting those things even when I was younger um, and then, you know, like in, by the time middle school happened, I was like, you know, writing bad poetry. Um, where was middle school? <laughs> it was in Jersey. Oh, in Jersey. Jersey. Um, <clears throat> I was writing bad poetry and short stories. And then, well, you know, by the time high school came along, I was still writing bad poetry. I wrote bad poetry for a very long time. Um, <clears throat> you know, and, uh, just always fascinated with words, always journaling. When there were blogs, I started blogging, um, and so it became really clear to me that writing was really important to me. On the flip side, I was I never felt good at like writing essays and things. So I actually felt like I was a bad writer for a lot of my like um, schooling. I was always sort of like, oh, I'm not good at writing essays. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I still sort of feel that way. Um, They're so formulaic. Yeah, I mean, like, and it's like it's just not like the way my my brain works. Um, and, um, yeah, I always sort of felt like it was gonna, it was a struggle. Um, and I think that because I struggled with that, I always sort of just assumed I wasn't a good, a good writer. And like, I didn't get into like advanced creative writing in like what? high school or advanced playwriting in college. Wow. And I, um, I, it's amazing how those little things affect you because at the time I was like what okay whatever but I was I really was convinced well I was like well maybe you know you can write a personal narrative you can write 
um, non-fiction, but like you, there's no way you can write fiction. Like you don't even get into the advanced classes. So like, you know, so, um, you know, and it's like, again, it's like, I think about that and it's like, ah, like that was probably like four years of my life that I could have been writing that I, I let like not getting into advanced playwriting dictate. Um, but yeah. And I, so I didn't really, I came to playwriting in college, um, in part because I was, I wanted to be a, what we called a literary arts, um, concentrator because (laughs) Brown has to be different. Um, but basically it's creative writing and you, you focused on one genre, but you needed to have a second one. And I was focusing on poetry, bad poetry. Um, <laughs> and I needed a second one and I was like, Oh, I do theater. I guess somebody has to write the plays. So I started taking playwriting. Um, but I ended up focusing on poetry because I didn't get into advanced playwriting. Um, but, uh, who was that person who didn't let you into it? I don't remember. I do remember <laughs> some of my friends who did get in and I'm like, you don't write plays now. No. Um, <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, so, um, that was the first really time that I really, really began to write plays was in college. Um, and then promptly didn't write a play for years until I think it was the summer of 2011 when a college friend of mine named Rachel Karis Love, um, yeah, no, um, well now she, she got married. She was Rachel Karis then, but Rachel Karis Love. Um, and, uh called and was like, we're doing this wrong. Like we're both, we're supposed to be writers. Like, why aren't we writing? Um, and I, at the time was actually getting my master's in social work. Um, and I was more than halfway through my degree and I was like, okay, fine. Like I'll take a semester off and finish a play. Wow. So I did. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to go back. And then she called me and she's like, Mm-mm-mm. she like was going to go to law school and went to law school for like a semester. And it was like, no, I dropped out of law school. You can't go back. Like we have to do this. And now she writes for TV. Um, so like, you know, uh, happy endings. Um, but, um, so yeah. Rachel Love also wrote a play. Laura she, well, she, what did she do? She, Rachel, I don't know what you did. Um, <laughs> I think. She, I mean, she was writing fiction at the time. We both were like people that like also like loved writing in different forms. Um, I think she may have like done a little bit of fiction, but also she crazy. And like, <laughs> she was from LA. She wasn't living in LA at the time and like went to LA and like, I talked to her like three months later and she's like, Oh my God, like I'm applying to this and I'm doing this. And like, was, I feel like was writing for TV or like within the TV like realm, like so quickly. <laughs> um, um, but she also does fiction. She also writes fiction. Um, so she convinced you to like start go back to your play. Yeah. Wow. So I like I I dropped out of my MSW program. I became a yoga teacher. I worked as a manager at Lululemon. <laughs> wow. And that sounds I like a play. a play. I mean, it probably is. Um, <laughs> and I you know I finished a play that I actually started in a class with Paula Vogel. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was sort of like my first play that then was in like the the Fringe Festival here in the city. In 2012. Um, but I wasn't living here at the time. I was still living in Philly. Oh. So I wasn't like here, here. But I, I did that. Wow. Yeah. Were you were your parents mad when you dropped out of your social working program? Or I like- actually, I have to say um, that my parents, like, have been pretty much nothing but supportive. I do think my dad, 
my dad's a lawyer and is like a practical person. And it's often like, oh God, like how are you going to survive? But then he always has these moments where he's like, well, no job you've ever wanted to do was going to be like highly lucrative. Like I was like, wanted to be a teacher, wanted to be a social worker. And he was like, okay, yeah, like you'll have a paycheck, but like, are you going to have like, what's your health insurance like? Like where are you going to live? Um, and so I think that in some ways me being like, I want to focus more on playwriting, um, was like scary to my dad, but also like, at least it was the thing I wanted to do. Right. It was like the impractical thing, but I wanted to do it versus, I mean, teaching and social work are not impractical. They're highly practical, great professions that I still teach, obviously. And, but, uh. I think he, he was, had a sense of like, this is not necessarily the thing that I dreamed of doing. Um, for those professions. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like it wasn't, you know, like I actually do, like I really love teaching and I do dream of being a teacher, but I dreamt of teaching playwriting, hmm. you know? Um, but I was going to try to settle and do something else with teaching instead. And I think my dad, on some level was happy that I was trying to do the thing that I wanted to do. Right. Like the thing that was the dream, his whole thing has been like, I worked really hard and didn't do the things that I wanted to do so that you could do the things that you wanted to do. Um, oh, dad. It's very sweet, I know. Um, you know, it's also like quite a way to work the guilt dad. Um, <laughs> gotta do, gotta be successful as a playwright. Um, so I think, you know, after his initial, like, how are you going to eat? question um settled in and I think my mom my mom I mean I think I probably could have been like I'm gonna go be a nudist in like Brazil and she would have been like as long as you call me every day it's okay (laughs) um so I I am super lucky to um to have parents and, and to have a family in general that has been super um super supportive, even if my, I think my dad said this, he saw behind the sheet, he, he loves history. So behind the sheet is very up his alley. He like gets it. He's like, <laughs> I got it. He's like, this is your best play ever. Um, you know, but he like has admitted, he's like, I don't always understand your work, <laughs> what? but <laughs> this one is good. Um, you know, and it's, it's like, you know, I laugh, but it's, it's sweet. Cause it's like, yeah, no, I know it's not my dad's cup of tea, but like he'll be there at every performance um and my mom would be, be would literally be at every performance if she could oh so, that's so they're, nice. they're a little crazy <laughs> but they're good what's the hardest part of the process for you the writing process the writing part <laughs> um I mean it's different I mean it's different for every play I mean I I really am um in awe of the folks that have like, that are disciplined and have a method to their madness. And they like do the same thing all the time. I'm like, that's amazing Mm -hmm. because I have plays that the first draft has been written in 48 hours or five days. They did come out like jump. Um, it came out basically in five days at a, the first 80 pages came out in five days. And I just not like I sat down knowing what I was going to write. Um, so sometimes it happens like that. And then other plays, it's like pulling teeth. It's like, what is this? Like, what do you want? Like, I don't know what you want to tell me. Like, what do you want to do? What do you want to say? Um, and feels like it takes months of like a page here and a page there. And, um, and I think the hardest part is just like never knowing what, what 
process is going to come mm. is going to come out. And I think with behind the sheet, you know, it was something. It's different. I'm talking about something historical. I'm talking about things where I need to like talk with science advisors, being like, how do I explain this? Or like making these choices. What what do I need to make sure is included about the history? What can I sort of imagine um, in the world. And like, so that process felt even more like foreign because I was like, uh, like at first I was like, I don't know how to write this. Um, and so, yeah, my short answer is like the writing part is, is really, it's really hard. Um, and I'm learning now the, like the sharing part is hard too. Um, they're like, you know, here's your baby. And for so long, the baby has been just yours. And then first you open it up, you know, in the case of Behind the Sheet, first I opened it up to the first group of actors and Colette and folks um, who went to the workshop, which was like last March and April. It was the first time. And then it's like, okay, there's another reading we opened up to that people. And then, you know, um, you're opening it up you know, the first preview and then it's like, okay, the play, people actually like the play. So they're coming to it. And it's like every night the play is being open. It's more and more people. And that's a beautiful thing. It's the dream, but it's also like, Oh wait, this baby that was once mine is like actually being taken care of by nine amazing actors and, you know, an amazing stage management team and amazing theater team and like I'm here talking to you, instead. <laughs> um, and that's wonderful, but also something I haven't fully experienced yet. Like this is really the first time that it really feels like I'm like, here's my baby. Oh, I guess it's not just my baby; it's our baby, our baby now. Um, and that's mm. that's um, it's really interesting and hard, you know, hard as a negative context. I don't mean it in that way. It's just so, it's so different and, and so many things and questions and concerns and all these things pop up, um, that I just didn't think about when I was writing for good, for good reason. I don't want to think about all these things. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning just how, uh, every part of the playwriting process is terrifying to me. <laughs> That's what I'm learning. <laughs> um, I'm, do, I'm definitely, you know, what does they say? Do something every day that scares you. And I'm like, well, I chose the right career because it's all scary to me. It's all so scary. <laughs> wow. Do you think that'll change the way you write? Having had this experience, this being your first... Um, does it change your expectations of like what's possible? And I mean, I, I mean, I do think it, it, you know, I never, I haven't always had the most, the highest self-esteem when it's come to my writing. So I, on one hand, I've always like, since I've really been focusing on playwriting, have applied for the big things or like hoped that I'm going to get the big thing. Like I'm going to be there one day, mm. put it on my vision board, but I don't know if I've believed it. Mm. I don't know. I mean, I still, there's still theaters in New York. I'm like, my stuff will never be there. Um, and I think that this experience, not only with Behind the Sheet here, but um, Jump being at Playmakers and, and then having the rest of this Rolling World premiere, um, you know, it's begun to, to sort of um, 
chip away at that. Like you can't actually, like you don't actually know. I mean, that's, I think the biggest thing is like, you don't actually know this time last year. Um, I didn't know behind the sheet was going to be produced. I knew, um, I think I, I mean, I knew of playmakers and I knew, um, of, uh, the next production, which is going to be in Portland, Oregon at Milagro with, as in a co-production with confrontation theater. I knew those, I knew those two. I didn't know any of the other stuff <laughs> and so much can change. Um, and I think that like this whole experience has been like, you actually have no idea where you'll go. And that could be up or it could be really down. Like we don't know, but like we, we just, you just have no idea and you have no idea, um, who's going to connect to the work, uh, like meaning audience members, meaning theaters, um, you know, the possibilities of that work. Um, yeah. And I, and so I, so I do think that like this experience really has like, there is a voice in my head now that's like, you actually don't know. So here you are sulking in the corner, worried about whatever, Charlie, but you like actually don't know. Um, and like, thank God you don't know. Um, because if I had any sense of what this last year would have been like, like this time last year, like this day last year, um, I probably would have freaked out. I probably would have been like, what? This is, that's crazy. Like I got to go rewrite everything and do, you know, I don't know, work, eat more vegetables, like something, um, <laughs> you know, um, but like, I didn't know. And so I just moved forward in this really, really lovely way. Um, did you have moments of doubt before you, I mean, you talk about not that place of like, not when you didn't know about the rolling world oh, yeah. behind the sheets. Like, like doubt about like playwriting in general or about the plays themselves. Or... Yeah. About your, where your, your trajectory or where things are going. Or sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, a, I still have those doubts. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think, I think, I think, you know, theater is, is hard and it's wonderful. And, you, the beautiful thing about our, our lovely profession is that so many of the people, uh, that we are working with are our friends, um, but they're also our colleagues. And sometimes they feel like our competition, which sucks, mm. but like you feel like you're applying to the same things. Um, and you know, uh, sometimes you, you have a moment when you're like, you get to see a friend and they kind of like something of theirs catches the eye of something and then like, oof, like there they go. And that they, they're going to do these like wonderful, um, these wonderful opportunities. And, you know, I, the way my brain works is like, well, okay. Statistically speaking, can all of us have that moment? I don't know. Maybe you won't have that moment, Charlie. You know, there are playwrights that are friends of mine that I'm like, they're a better playwright than me. Like, I'm not even, I'm not even trying to be like, I'm not a good playwright. I'm like, no, no, no. They're, they're smarter. <laughs> they're better crafting. And like, they choose them. Like, um, you know, um, it's very generous. There are, there are, you know, and some of these people are my friends. Sometimes they're, sometimes they're not even my friends. I'm like, Oh no, they got that. Great. Good. Okay, <laughs> bye. Like you, you just know. deeply respect their work. Respect yeah. Their I feel work. the same. I feel yeah. the same way. Exactly. Yeah. And it, and it, and it's, um, you know, uh, Sometimes when I'd read their work, I'd be like, oh, man, you're not there. Okay. 
maybe you will get there. Maybe you won't, you know? Um, and so, so, so sometimes doubt, I actually feel like that's sort of healthy because it probably pushed me to be like, okay, like if Charlie, if you really want it, if you want, if you respect this person so damn much, what, you know, what are they doing that you're not doing? <laughs> um, is there something that you can work on? Do you need to be writing more? That person actually is disciplined. Do you need to be disciplined? Um, so there's like things like that, but, um, you know, I, I, I have such a respect for writers, for artists, but because I'm talking about writing, specifically writing, um, of all calibers and all forms. And I, I don't always know if I feel like I, I, I deserve to be put in the same group as some of them. <laughs> like, you know, like, um, and, um, you know, that's, probably, you know, there's some people that are going to be listening. They're like, yep, you're right. Um, but, <laughs> no. but there's also, but you know, then, and I also recognize that that's, you know, a lot of that is me, right. That a lot of that is my own stuff to work through. It's the, you know, the history teacher that said that I wasn't that great of a writer. And if I needed, if I wanted to go, I went to boarding school. And so it's like, if you need, if you want to go to the, this boarding school, you're going to have to become a better writer. And it's like, you know, he had no idea that that would haunt me <laughs> right. for the rest of my life. But like, that's, it feels like I'm, you know, that was what almost 20 years ago. And I still feel like I'm trying to convince 14, I guess four, 13, 14 year old Charlie, like, okay. Like he was talking about a specific moment in time. He's not talking about it now. Like, I don't need you to tell me that now. Um, so yeah, so I so I, right. I doubt it all the time, and like even with this, you know, every I'm super sensitive, and every sort of negative review, there's usually a good like three hours where I'm like, great, never writing again. <laughs> Thank you, you're a hundred percent right. You're right. I'm you're right. I'm this is done. Nope, done. I'm gonna go do something where that is not the scariest objective. Um, and then, you know, I, I think, I think, I think people in my life are learning like, oh, okay, like she needs to go like be by herself for like three hours and like go to bed and like make a hot toddy and then she'll wake up and like be angry and we'll write something else. Right, <laughs> and right, that's right, the right. way it goes. Um, so yeah, so I, so I, I think a lot of my now, uh, playwright existence is trying to, um, anticipate when the doubts come up. And when are the doubts useful and when are they not? And when, you know, um, when do I need to fight them and when do I need to let them live a little bit and experience them? Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'll ever, you know, I admire the, the writers in my life who are like, I'm a writer, I'm a damn good writer. I'm like, oh, one day, that's the, that's the goal, that's the life. When I will say that and, and trust it, you know. So if you could go back to like 13 year old Charlie or Charlie who didn't do the, didn't continue playwriting because of not getting into that advanced playwriting course in college. Like if you could go back and just tell that Charlie with something, what would you tell that person? I would first tell her that, um, writing is so much a part of who she is. There's no way she can escape it. Whether it's, you know, Sure, fine. You didn't get into advanced playwriting. You didn't get into the creative writing class. You're going to sit in, you know, on your shift 
working retail, writing poems on the back of receipt paper. Like that's what you're going to do. Um, or you're going to blog, um, or you're going to write epic emails to friends, but you're like, you know, way too literary to be letters or emails to your friends. You're going to do it some way. Um, so I think you just need to accept that and just accept that you're going to be a writer. Like, that's okay. Um, so there's a part, there's a part of me that wants to say that, but I also think, um, I would, I would encourage younger Charlie in general to, um, not put, to not always put other people's, uh, what is the word? Other people's assessments of her above her own assessment of herself. Um, And yes, pay attention to the times when people are giving you critique, but also pay just as as much attention when people are giving you praise. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, because it's like we pay attention so often to the one, the one negative thing, which is sometimes useful. Sometimes we need to be told that thing, but um, you know, I think I mean I think was it uh, Leah Winkler. She wrote her an article in Backstage, and she had some line that was basically like, I'm butchering it, but it's like, it's, uh, it's essentially, it's, it's disrespecting folks who support you to only, like, listen to the bad stuff. Hmm. She wrote it much more poetically. <laughs> um, but that's sort of the sentiment that I got, and I was like, you're right, it's, it's, it's. You know, it's if I'm only listening to the folks that say I can't do this and I shouldn't do this, it's disrespectful to any number of people who are there fighting for me um, on any given day. It's disrespectful to my parents, it's disrespectful to my friend Rachel who called me and was like, this is what we're supposed to be doing, <laughs> you know? Um, and so that's something that if I could go back and like insert that into my younger self, I most certainly would, because finding that stuff as an adult is, like, annoying. I'm like, ugh, I just wish you'd learned this lesson when you were, like, 13. It'd be so much easier. <laughs> now I gotta, like, go through, like, 20, you know, more years of, like, whatever crazy beliefs you've got along the way. I feel that, man. I'm working on so many, on fixing so many of my yes. stuff I've picked up. Um, well, I feel like... I found this piece that you wrote a little while ago. Two glimpses. Is that your oh, solo yeah, show? Oh yeah, it was. It was. It was. Um. It was. Uh. What was it? What was the guy? What's that thing called? The Oneness Project. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, I want to print this out, and uh, and I feel like it could. I mean, it's funny because you talked about your obsession with baby names and. Do I talk about, like, talking about babies in that one? Don't I? You talk about babies yep. in this one. And I also have a little, I'm a little obsessed with, like, babies. I don't know. I don't have one. <laughs> what does Charlie mean, by the way, speaking of baby names? Oh, well, it's, well, I mean, it's like, Charlie is just like a diminutive Charles. But Charles, I think, if I remember correctly, in, like, German, means, like, manly or something. Huh. And I was, I remember being very disappointed. I was like, oh, like Charlie is just like little female Charles. Like, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> um, um, but if, if I remember correctly, it means something like manly. I feel like Yvonne, my middle name, means something nice in like French. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I, I do, I do remember being highly disappointed by the meanings of my name. Well, I feel like it's good to be manly sometimes. I mean, this. now I'm like, whatever, you know, now I'm like, I, I would, I would put that on a, on a, um, I don't know. I'm lo- losing all my words. <laughs> I'd do something with it. Well, I just thought this piece, this, there's a part of it. It's so beautiful. And I was wondering if you would, in closing, just read it. Sure. For what part? From here to, uh, to my future children. From, from to my future children all the way down? Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. <clears throat> to my future children, I hope as you grow, you feel valued. I hope you feel alive. I hope you feel safe. I hope you feel protected. I hope you feel loved. I hope you feel equal to those around you. I hope you do not experience the daily reminders that I do, the ones that remind me that I am a black woman and as such am sometimes deemed dumb, ugly, worthless, useless, asexual, too sexual, criminal by others. I hope you do not experience the daily reminders that I do, the ones that remind me that there are people in this world who believe they know me and my story solely because of the color of my skin. I hope you do not experience the daily reminders that I do, the ones in my belly that make me sick because they come after being reminded that me and my loved ones, my lovely brown-skinned ones, may not be as safe, protected, or valued as we should be. I hope you feel loved. I hope I love you enough. I hope you learn to love yourself enough to shine brightly despite the darker moments. That was Charlie Yvonne Simpson. Thank you for listening to this episode of Upstage Left, and I hope you'll tune in again next time.